podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm all right. What we're talking about, less all right, if we're being honest, after last night. Yeah, so we are recording on Friday morning after Thursday night's debacle in Toulouse. Uh, We are here to discuss Liverpool versus Brentford, a game in which Liverpool will look to bounce back after two really, really poor results, like let's be fair, Carl, when we were looking at the schedule, those were two games that Liverpool really should have won and won comfortably, considering Luton are dreadful, and we walloped to lose five one only a matter of weeks ago. This should have been a fairly straightforward week for Liverpool, and instead they've made it far more difficult than it needed to be. It becomes even more complicated when we factor in Alexis McAllister booked against Luton, therefore out this weekend. Curtis Jones picking up a hamstring injury before Luton out this weekend. Thiago Alcantara, Andy Robertson and Stefan Besetic already out to begin with. And then Ryan Gravenberg picking up uh, a little niggle of the knee, according to Jürgen um, and potentially out, likely, I would say likely out this weekend. So, on top of the bad week, now we play Brentford, who are significantly better than either of the last two teams, and we don't really have a midfield to speak of. Yeah, look, the last two games were games we should have won with our eyes closed. I think when we were looking at the run that we had through to the international break, those were probably... Maybe to lose at home more than to lose away, obviously. But still, both of those games were matches that we didn't really have any other consideration of other than, well, we should win those two. Um, It was a very winnable run all the way through. And if we did slip up somewhere along the way, honestly, I wouldn't have expected it to be those two matches. Um, I know Luton, you know, with the whole promoted big game for them thing, blah, blah, blah. We still should have beat them. Still shouldn't have put in the performances that we did. Um, Brentford would probably be one of the ones you would look at and say, well, that is a, a marginally more difficult game for us compared to, you know, home to Nottingham Forest, for example, Brentford, a better side, generally speaking, away in the cup, a rotated team might slip up, that kind of thing. So it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on this game to get a result in Premier League terms, obviously, having drawn last week. You don't want to go into an international break on the back of three non-victories in a row before facing Man City. You don't want to really be going into the international break, preparing to face Man City, having lost a load of players to, to injury and so on. Um, and with regards to Brentford specifically, they didn't really have a great start to the season, but they've now won three in a row. They've found oh. themselves not just 
results form, but I think the, the midfield has been shaped much, much better recently for them. Uh, and obviously they've, they've hit the goal trail as well. Eight goals in the last three matches. Yeah, so let's talk about their season so far. So they begin with the 2-2 draw against Tottenham. Then they go to Fulham and beat them 3-0. Fulham were a bit of a shambles to begin the season as well with the Polina stuff and the Mitrovic stuff. And they didn't really get their acting gear for a couple of weeks. Then they drew 1-1 at home to Crystal Palace. Uh, a game that they were probably quite disappointed not to pick up the three points. And then they drew 2-2 at home to Bournemouth and were quite fortunate to get the draw in that one. And then things got tougher for them. They lost 1-0 up at Newcastle. Then they lost 3-1 at home to Everton, a game in which they were comprehensively outplayed. They had more of the ball, but Everton's approach really hurt them and they couldn't figure out how to stop it, which is... Ironic, because it's a similar approach to what they've taken in the past against us. Um, Then they drew 1-1 away to Nottingham Forest, which was a disappointment for them because Forest went down to 10 men. And then they went 1-0 up. And then Forest, with their 10 men, managed to come back into the game. And then they went to Old Trafford, and they scored after 26 minutes. And they were still 1-0 up after 92 minutes. And yet, somehow, they lost the game. But then they came home for Burnley and won 3-0. They went to Chelsea and won 2-0. And truthfully, they missed two or three big, big chances in that game as well. And then they beat West Ham 3-2 in their last outing, went one up, fell behind 2-1. And you thought, this is another one of those games where they've gone ahead and they're going to throw it away. But in the second half, they turned things around. They managed to win the game. Nathan Collins with his uh, first goal for the club. It's been a bit of a mixed bag. Four wins, four draws, three defeats, 19 goals scored, 14 conceded. They sit ninth. Overall, they're probably very, very happy with where they are. But I think certain parts of the journey to get here this season will have upset Thomas Frank. I think that's fair. Um, I think he maybe might have expected some struggles, but not necessarily in the way that they've come. Um, I mean, obviously going into the season without Ivan Tony and without, let's say, a replacement for Ivan Tony because he didn't go as such. Um, maybe he would have expected, you know, maybe we'll we'll struggle to find not just the goals, but really the the build up play uh, in the same way. Um, but, you know, people like Johan Wisser really had a good start to the season. So it mitigated it, even if they were playing a slightly different way, let's say. Um, but that period in the middle where, where you mentioned those sort of four defeats in five games, there were defensive errors there. There were a few moments where goalkeeper Mark um, Flecken looked, I wouldn't say disastrous, but certainly uncertain at times. Uh, a few too many changes in defence um of late and even like right now they they certainly were struggling with numbers when they played West Ham um ended up with Vitaly Janot playing left back and uh Christopher Azer and uh at right back so it was a back four but with three center backs and a midfielder um so kind of a really good for them in terms of that they did still manage to win that game but you can see why slightly smaller squad a few injuries suddenly makes a big big difference for them uh, and we've mentioned also a couple of times already when we spoke about them earlier this season, a couple of signings which haven't really worked for them at all yet with 
fairly big numbers for for Brentford, certainly, um, which they'll be hoping for a much, much better return on across the course of this season, certainly. But the players who they've got, let's say, in and around numbers 1 to 12, 13, 14, have probably overperformed to this part of the season to an extent, you know, individually, even if the results haven't always been perfect. But look, come the end of the season, obviously Brentford are not the only team who will have ups and downs and injury issues and all the rest of it. If Brentford finished ninth, I reckon they'd probably be pretty happy with that when you consider that what used to be a top four is now effectively a top seven by money and then Brighton punching as high as they possibly can is eight. If Brentford finished ninth and they're the best of everybody else, I think that's exceptional. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I would class that as exceptional as well. When you look at the money involved and you factor in, you've got the big six plus Newcastle's money plus Aston Villa, who you didn't factor in as well, who are, I mean, a huge club, really ambitious owners, a good manager, a very good group of players. You add them to that mix and Brighton, that's nine. So for Brentford to be where they are, they're actually currently above one of that nine. And that's obviously Chelsea at the moment. It could be even better for them if a certain team in Manchester continue to shit the bed on such a regular basis. They might well end up finishing a little bit higher. They're only, as things stand, three, uh, four points behind Newcastle in sixth. So th- they will be very happy with, with where they are and how things are going. You mentioned the Ivan Tony thing. So in the summer, um, having finished ninth last season, ahead of Chelsea, it should be pointed out, they signed Mark Flecken very early, knowing that David Rea was going to be leaving them. They made the Kevin Shade deal permanent. That was an obligation. And they signed Nathan Collins from Wolves. They also brought in Neil Mopay on loan on deadline day. And they re-signed Sh- Saman Gados, who initially they'd released. And they brought him back in. They lose out on Sergi Canos, he goes. Uh, Mads Bitstrup, he goes. Mads Beck Sorensen goes. And obviously, David Rea goes on loan to Arsenal late in the window. Where did Sergi Canos go, by the way? I never. Sergi Canos went to Valencia. Okay, fine. And has played four or five times, so he's at least at least involved. Um, it's weird to me that they didn't go and find an Ivan Tony replacement, Carl. It's weird to me that they didn't look at the situation and think, right, when he comes back, he's got 18 months on his deal. So realistically, we probably are going to have to sell him as soon as he's back and eligible to play again. Now, maybe they'll go in January and buy someone. But, you know, Victor Jokerez, who went from Coventry to Sporting, struck me every time I watched him as the ideal Ivan Tony replacement. Victor Boniface, who went to Bayer Leverkusen, struck me as someone that would have made a lot of sense. And maybe he wasn't an option because he came from uh, St. Gilio, who are owned by Tony Bloom, and Tony Bloom and Matthew Benning don't get on. So maybe that wasn't an option. But 
Jokerez definitely was an option. And he moved for around £18 million, which is absolutely doable for a club like Brentford. And he didn't move until like the middle of July. So there was an opportunity early in the summer, like early in June, to go and get him. Because obviously you can buy from English clubs in June. I didn't understand why they didn't go for someone like him. He would have been perfect, in my view. Bring him in. He's a similar age to what Tony was when you signed him. You get two years out of him, and then you're looking to sell him on a significant profit. Based on how he's performed thus far for sporting, he might not be there more than one year, and I think they're going to make a huge amount of money on him. I don't really understand why they didn't. And now I know that they've scored, you know, they've scored some goals, especially in, in recent weeks, but you look at certain other games. Crystal Palace couldn't find that second goal. Newcastle couldn't find an equaliser. Nothing stuck for them against Everton. Everything was just bouncing back and Everton were launching along and taking advantage of certain weaknesses in that Brentford defence. The same thing up at Forest against 10 men couldn't find the second goal. Couldn't find the second goal to get themselves into an even stronger position at Old Trafford, despite the fact that they had moment, like quite a bit of dominance in that game. I, I'm just really surprised they didn't address it because they knew Tony was going to miss half the season. He was vital to how they played. And they're going to have to replace him anyway because he is going to leave. So I'm a little bit surprised. I, I think they just fell short in their window, in their summer transfer window, and have made it a little bit tougher on themselves than they needed to. So a couple of the players who they were linked um, in summer, um, Habib Diallo at Strasbourg at the time, and Amanda Broja, who obviously at Chelsea but had a knee injury and was recovering still at the time. So the profile is about right for what you were saying. Um, the only thing I can really think Obviously, the one one possibility is they couldn't spend that money until they got the Tony money. So if that's the case, then so be it. You know, they would have needed to sell him in the summer, and obviously that wasn't changing. But the only other thing I could think of is that they've been pretty insistent that they don't want him to go. And I know there's a contract, you know, limitation basically on them doing so. But if they genuinely think that they can keep him or he might stay, bringing in a new signing in the summer might have said to him, well, yeah, we keep saying we want you to say, stay, but we know really you're going to go. That's the only thing that I can really think, that it was a a play on thinking, well, if we didn't sign him and he got injured for three months, it would be the same, that kind of thing. Fair, but I, I do think there needs to be a recognition of where you sit in the food chain. Mm. And... Brentford to this point have always had a strong recognition of where they sit, where they fit. And, you know, we saw it when they sold Ollie Watkins. We saw it when they sold Ezri Konza, Chris Metham, uh, Ben Rama. Like all of these players were there and were sold because their whole model is, well, it's, it's the Brighton model, isn't it? Like it's the exact same thing. It's scout well, buy low, develop well, sell high. That's the model. And then reinvest it and go again. And they've, they've for some reason, yeah, may, maybe they thought they could keep Ivan Tony, but every single bit of reporting 
around the situation since the summer has been that Ivan Tony has told him he wants to leave. Yeah. That Ivan Tony feels he's ready for a step up. And there's no question Ivan Tony is ready for a step up. And given his age, he's 28 soon enough, isn't he? Um, yeah, it'll be 28 in March. So he'll only be back and then he turns 28 two months later. It, it makes sense to just to move him on in January at the highest possible price, because unless he is going to sign a new contract, which this would have been the ideal time to get a contract done while he's not able to play, and you've got months and months with nothing else to distract him other than a contract, there's been near a hint of any kind of extension or him having any interest. One thing I, think- I would say about the, the, the model of Brighton, where you've mentioned it, I don't really think that Brentford have done the selling anywhere near as much as that. They I haven't, mean, but they also haven't bought to the extent of Brighton. Like, Brighton right. have a ton of young players. Yeah. Whereas with, with Brentford, they've, they've kind of bought a team. Yeah, I don't and- remember Brentford selling too many other than that Watkins and Ben Rama team. They sold those. I think they went in the same window, didn't they? They did, but I, I do think part of that is is Thomas Frank because he's quite pragmatic in his approach. I think he's built quite a pragmatic team that doesn't really have too many stars. I mean, if you if you look at the team they've been playing in recent years, Mbomo, star potential maybe Tony, like the midfield is very workmanlike. It's not a midfield of young standout players. Rico Henry, I think, possibly would have been lined up for a move next summer, but he's now torn his ACL, so that's probably off the cards. And the centre-backs is the same thing. It's been older, more experienced centre-backs. But if you look at the players they've brought in, I do think that's been the plan. Like They didn't buy Kevin Chade, so he spends his entire career there, in my view. I'd say the same of the signings they made last summer. Aaron Hickey, Keen Lewis Potter, Mikkel Darmsgaard, they all seem to me like players that you bring in, you develop, and in two years, you move them on. Yeah, I think you know the, the Damsgaard one and uh, Lewis Potter, that we've spoken about it a few times, haven't we? They, they are ones that they need to work. They needed them to work for team purposes, but also for investment in in team purposes I think it's quite a it's going to be a problematic thing if at least one of them I think doesn't uh, doesn't really kick on and develop the way they wanted them to yeah for for certain um yeah I mean the last big money sales were certainly Watkins and Benrama um and then before that Konza so their model is you know it is slightly different to to Brighton's without question but then if you think about Brighton when they first came into the division, the division because they're a couple of years ahead of where Brentford are, they were very much the same. Like they didn't have a bunch of big money sales in those first couple of years as they sought to establish themselves in the division. And Brentford might still be in the midst of that. They might still be you know, kind of just focused on let's stay in the division, let's finish as high as we possibly can, but let's be pragmatic about this and let's not let's not jump too quickly onto the 
you know, the full blown sell to buy kind of thing or buy, buy to sell, sell to buy, whatever way you want to look at it. If you're maybe not a Champions League team, but maybe one of that group that you mentioned before, the, well, Tottenham, I suppose, at the minute, plus maybe Aston Villa because they have money, that sort of thing. If you're looking outside of Ivan Tony, are there many there that you would take? I mean, I think Hickey is obviously a bit of a standout in terms of profile positions, versatility, all that kind of thing. But beyond that? Um, a, a non-injured Rico Henry, I, I think, is is better than the majority of left-backs in the league. Uh, Hickey's definitely won. If Norgard was like two years younger, he'd absolutely be one. But he's not. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think they'd probably get decent money for Brian and Boomer if, if he wanted to and go. And Boomer for certain. Yeah. yeah. And Boomer for certain. I think Matthias Jensen could bring in some decent money. I think he's a very tidy player. Um, and he's quite consistent. Shade is the one they're kind of hoping, I'd say, to hit big on. Ayer, I mean, he's another one they definitely bought with this in mind, but, but he's had so many injuries that it's been... Yeah, that's the problem. Like even, to tough. be honest, the, the same thing for Josh De Silva. I think he's a really, really good player. Same, yeah. But he's had so many injuries. He's so talented. Yeah, he's... And nice. when he gets a run of games, like, do you remember, was it last season or the season before, he was came back from months and months out, and then he got himself sent off. Yeah, and it was just it was so unfortunate I think he walked off in tears on the day because he'd just come back after this big long spell out um, he's such a such a talented player but I mean he's he's sitting out with a hamstring injury so you know he's right. only just back to doing solo outdoor training in the last couple of weeks so latest number nines that they've been linked with that I can find. What well, I don't, I haven't watched one of them, so you have to see if you if you know him. Um, that's uh, Marcos Leonardo for Santos. He's a centre forward over in Brazil. I've never watched him play. He's only twenty years old, uh, but apparently he's played over one hundred and fifty games for them already. So I've watched him about Santos. three times because he was linked with us about two years ago. Um. He looked talented, but it was two years ago that I watched him, so I've no idea how he's developed. Yeah, he's got um, a good goal scoring record, though. Yeah, fifty or so, and one hundred and fifty, or just a yeah. bit over for both of them. Um, Evangelist Pavlidis plays for AZ. I like him. Yeah, I've seen a decent amount of him in the Europa League and the Conference League and whatever over the last couple of years. He does strike me as a. Brentford type of number nine who could replace Tony. We don't have a great track record of Greek players coming into the league and doing well, though. <laughs> you, uh, were you not a big fan of uh, Big Soto? No. He <laughs> no, definitely was not. He, he did a job. Dating back to... What was the fellow's name? Who? Winger signs for, for who? Blackburn. Trianos Delas. Oh, Georgius Donis. Oh, Georgi Donis. Do you remember him? He's yeah, the, the fella that came out in the paper and said, they asked him what drew him to England, and he, he said the quiet part out loud and went, well, obviously the great financial packages that they're offering over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. brilliant. Trianos yeah, Delas then- at Sheffield United was great international, not great domestic. Uh, one of those classics. And then there was uh, Samaras. 
Georgie Samara, say it. Yeah. They have good at Celtic. Up. Good at Celtic. Very good at Celtic. Very, very good at Celtic. Different league. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, the, the, the goal for in, quality. In more ways of, than one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the last the last name, I think, is the best fit. Um, so that's Wolfsburg's Jonas Vind. Yes. Yeah, he is He is one that does make sense. And look, they obviously have very strong Danish connections uh, as a club, and there's a lot of Danes in the squad. And obviously the manager is a Dane as well. So it does it does make a lot of sense in in the non-footballing ways and it makes a lot of sense in a footballing way because he's that sort of nine and a half mm. similar to Tony that kind of all round like the Harry Kane model yeah. um by the way did you, did you see people. some of the passes that Harry Kane played against Galatasaray the one for Sané was just disgustingly good he is no, ridiculous. I didn't watch that game. Yeah. Oh, he, he was. He, he's just. He's actually. He's gone up a level since moving to Bayern again. Oh, there's a lot better movement around him now, and he has a well, uh, Let's say yeah. considerably more of the ball than Spurs have over the last couple of years pre Ange. That's very, very true. It's very, very true. Um, Jonas Wynn would make a lot of sense for them, and the the one question mark on him prior to this season was can he score enough goals mm. to elevate himself? This season, he started in great form. He's got nine and 12 in all competitions, eight and 10 in the league. So he's already at his best numbers for Wolfsburg. Yeah. And we're only a little bit into the season. Um, yeah, I, I do like, I like the fit both culturally and football wise. So that's definitely one I think to monitor for, for January. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Wins only second season that he scored more than seven league goals in his career, and obviously the first of those was when he was still playing in Denmark. Um but the one thing you might say is from the Wolfsburg perspective, massively reliant on him for goals this season. Um, he has uh, eight of their 15, so over half mm. of their goals. So again, price tag wise, things happen, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <clears throat> this weekend, they have a lot of injuries, Carol. They're mm. in... 
one of the worst situations in the league in terms of absentees. So no Rico Henry out for the season. No Aaron Hickey. He's not back until Jan- he's not expected back until January. That's the knock on him. He, he is a little bit fragile. He does get hurt every season for a bit of an extended spell. Last season it was an ankle. One of the seasons at Bologna it was a shoulder. This time it's a thigh. Uh, Ivan Tony out till January. Kevin Shade out till January. Damsgaard another sick note. He's out till the end of the month. De Silva, we talked about, he's out till the end of the month. Plekin has a dead leg, but is expected to be okay. Lewis Potter, they're hoping he'll be back in a week or two, but he probably misses out this weekend. And then Shandon Baptiste is working his way back to fitness. He played for the B team on Tuesday. But in the words of Thomas Frank, he's still just undercooked in terms of being available for selection this weekend. So you can rule him out as well. So that's nine players, including, obviously, the Ivan Tony situation. So it does make it tough for Thomas Frank to put out a team that's strong in all areas. Um, do you expect him to go with the back four this weekend or the back three? Because they mix and match between the two, and they seem very comfortable uh, mm. in both shapes. They do. The only thing I would say is without the Silva and Hickey, I don't immediately see someone who is particularly wing-back capable, especially for that left-hand side. But I don't see someone who's capable on either side, but Mads Roslev does play right wing-back for them. Um, but on the left, I, do you want Yanel to be wing-back? I mean, at full-back, fine. He can obviously do the job there and his passing range is decent. Stamina-wise isn't an issue, but for, I think for pace and genuine all-round athleticism of getting up and down so much as a wing-back, I'm not sure I'd be looking at Jan Elt to do it. So unless you're asking someone like Jan Wisser to play there, which I don't think would be a great idea and obviously then reduces their attacking options, I just, I'm just i not sure I really see another left-sided wing-back option for them. That's a very fair shout. Um I mean, yeah, I, I think I think because of the injuries and the absentees, you're right. They probably are going to be forced to play a back four. Um, so Mark Flecken will be in goal. We know that much. You would imagine Ethan Pinnock starts, Nathan Collins starts. Could Ben Mee at left back, maybe, if they play a four? And Rose left a right back, or maybe yeah, he, Ayer plays right back and they go with the four centre back look. Yeah, Ayer played right back against West Ham, so I'd expect him to just stay there, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was pretty decent. And Jan Elt, like I said, was quite good as well. They made changes very late on, and Ben Mee came on right, really, really late on for Jan Elt. So they could put him there, but I imagine it'd just be Jan Elt again. I wouldn't be surprised just to see that same back four, to be fair. So in midfield, then, we'll get Norgard, we'll get Jensen. They've got some options for that third role. Who do you expect to start? Do you think they'll go with a three? Or yeah. will they go with a four and pack the midfield and just play Mbomo and Wissa up front? Um, 
I don't honestly remember last time I saw them playing like a proper four in midfield. I know they switch a lot, but it seems to be no, four, three, three, or yeah, or a three wing backs two basically. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them keep it the same, just because then you can drop the wide forwards back, obviously, to make a five if you need to. They're very, very quick. They're very mm. ingrained in Brentford's tactics. The pair of them have been you know, pretty much every single week players. So I think it would be the four-three-three base. And then you're really just looking at that midfield to set as much of a platform as possible. And then Jensen get forward as and when. So Onyeka started against West Ham. He did. So, He's another yeah. one that they bought. He's another one that they bought and he, he hasn't really kicked on the way they'd have hoped. Yeah, he's been a very squad player for them, hasn't he? So I, I think he played okay <clears throat> from a from a team impact perspective. Technically not not tremendous against West Ham. Like there was a you know, quite a few occasions of either overrunning the ball or, you know, fairly basic passes went astray, that kind of thing. But he is, like I say, one of the players who doesn't really get a sustained run in the team a lot of the time. He's often used as a, a substitute to like bolster them up a little bit if they're leading or try to bring a bit more mm. physicality, that kind of thing. But in terms of progressing the ball for them, like Norgard and Jensen, obviously in the team all the time are very, very good players, but neither of them blessed with, let's say, ball carrying at pace ability. Onyeka did do that, especially first half against West Ham. And I thought Brentford first half were really, really good. Um, and probably before they went 2-1 down, could and should have been maybe 2-0, 3-1 up, something like that. Missed a couple of really decent chances, created a lot of problems, especially for Mavropanos at the back. And Onyeka was quite a decent part of that, just by you know his, his presence and just by being able to bully once or twice uh, Emerson down that channel. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts again, partly because of his performance, but also partly, obviously, like you say, they've just not got loads of options. You look at who came off the bench that mm. time, and they're not going to have anybody new back. Yamoyuk, me, Godos, Roslev, and Strokosha is obviously the halftime goalkeeper switch. So I, I don't see anyone there who's going to take his place because he wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. He, he had a fairly good game in terms of his normal starts for them. So I've not seen loads of Yamalyuk, so maybe he's the, the one who might, but like I say, he's not exactly been like a a regular player, has he? He's come on with sub a handful of times. No. That's it, so. No, that's that, that's true. And like he, he doesn't seem to have the manager's full faith as yet. Like sub appearance player, is one like- thing, but... He's a young. That's it. He's nineteen. So like, he's not a player that's been signed for the short term. He's a long term development piece. Um, the midfield of of Norgard Jensen and Onyeka does have some decent balance, though, because you get a strong defensive presence. They're all good defensively, but Norgard is is very very good defensively, and Onyeka is a powerful ball winner. And then you've got Jensen and Norgard who are good progressive passers and obviously Jensen has great delivery from set pieces as well so you do get a little bit of everything with that trio if 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 Onyeka could be consistent it's probably the starting three with Norga with with Janot kind of rotating in because he can play all three positions and Thomas Frank would probably like to have that kind of four starters for three positions type of thing but Thus far in his Brentford career, Onyeka hasn't shown consistency. This is an opportunity for him now to do so. 
And that midfield, it does make me a little bit nervous about our midfield. So just to finish their team, Wissa and Mbomo either side of uh, Neil Mope, um, who scored his first goal in 14 months, and you'd hope doesn't find uh, what would be you know called form and get another one quite so quickly. That midfield does worry me a little bit against our midfield. So if we look at what Liverpool's situation is, then no Thiago, no Robbo, no Alexis, no Curtis. Un- Gravenberg is a doubt. Um, and no Besetic. So we're down to very much bare bones. If Gravenberg can't play, are we just looking at Dominic Endo and Harvey Elliott as a midfield three? Because that doesn't really fill me with confidence. <laughs> you sound thrilled no, by the prospect. I, I'm not. I'm not thrilled by. I'm not thrilled by either, either Gravenberg or Harvey as the third midfielder with Endo and Dominic. Dominic is is obviously great, but Endo concerns me, and so do the other two. So, honestly, if I'm Jurgen, I'm going back to four four two for this game and putting Diaz one side if he's obviously still happy to play, and then whoever you want the other side. But I don't expect that that would be the case. So I wouldn't be surprised, given that he started and didn't finish the game, if we saw Gakpo back in midfield for this one, just for size, presence, and has played in midfield earlier this season. I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't think he brings physicality despite his size, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, mm. just because Endo, fairly short. Elliot, too short, too small, despite much more fight about his game than some of the others. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Cody, Sobers, Lion, Endo. The word yuck is just screaming in my head, but I, I don't disagree. He's been so poor this season. But, I mean, there's no other option, really. Like, Harvey, for as, as much play. effort as he puts in. Yeah. Well, I don't I, see I Harvey say, play right wing, Diaz left wing, and Dominic and Endo as a two. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's what Trent inversion nonsense. That's what I would prefer for this game, specifically because of the lack of options we have in the middle. And possibly Harvey, but possibly Jota right wing, because I think, as I mentioned on Brawl last night, Jota much better in terms of ball carrying, first touch, that kind of thing in the last few appearances. So I would probably be looking at Jota to start one side on the right, Diaz on the left. They'd have to narrow, obviously, because otherwise we're going to be 3v2 outnumbered in the middle. But Endo and Solzlai just there as a pair, I don't think would be the worst. And then obviously you've still got Darwin and Mo up top. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that could work. That could definitely work. I'd like to see Jurgen just be a little bit, you know, a little bit unpredictable with his lineup yeah. because we've become a little bit predictable, I think. Yeah, I do think, I think that this, there's a, a the inversion. Between... Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I think the inversion makes us, the inverted fullback thing, I think it makes us predictable. Yeah, I, I think that there's a difference between having a settled side and not being pragmatic enough to change the um, approach when you don't have the players to do that settled side, to be perfectly honest. So, do you think 
Ali will start. I, I, I assume Ibu and Virgil start. Trent will be right back. The, the other only other question then, because let's be honest, Jurgen's not going to change. He's going to play 4-3-3. So it's just a matter of who that third midfielder is. It'll be Dominic. It'll be Endo. It could be Cody. It could be Harvey. It could be Gravenberg if he's fit. And then it'll be Mo, Darwin, and either Jota or Diaz. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Jota. Um, so I suppose the only question left then is who plays left back? Hostas did not have a good audition for the role last night. Could Joe Gomez play left back again as he did at, at Luton and as he did yesterday in the second half? Is that, do you think, the, the move? Or could he could he go one of the youngsters? Could he give Luke Chambers the start? I would be going with Joe Gomez. Um, I think he's played fairly well. well. Yeah, uh, I think he's played fairly well. Obviously, it's not his natural or best role or whatever, but I think he's done the job. I think he's played well enough over the last few matches where Liverpool as a whole perhaps haven't. And not only that, but obviously if we're talking about Brentford and their attack, then the cutting in from the sides is obviously going to favour a right footer as well um, from from Brentford's right coming in on and Boomer's left. So um, that's probably what I would stick with. Yeah, and I think... I think there is some logic to playing a right-footed fullback who's going to be more comfortable with somebody coming infield off that flank. So in Bomo, we know he's always going to cut inside onto his left foot. His right foot is literally just for standing on. And if you remember last season, we saw Sean Dyche against Arsenal play McNeil and... It will be almost as wing backs on the wrong sides, but it was to deal with the threat of the Arsenal f- wingers cutting in field onto their stronger feet. And it worked really, really well. And I do think having Joe there, whose dominant side is his right side, to deal with Mbomo cutting in field onto his left foot might be the best way to try and nullify. Plus, Brian Mbomo is absolutely rapid. Yeah. We saw him out-sprint Virgil last season, which I don't remember anyone else doing in Virgil's entire time at Liverpool. Now, Virgil was injured, and he went off at half-time in that game. But he might have gotten injured trying to keep up with Mbomo. He he moves. He doesn't look like he should be, but he's one of the quickest players in the league. Joe is probably our fastest player. He used to be our fastest player over long distance. I Assume he's still up there. So that makes a lot more sense than Costas, who isn't the quickest. And Costas, when he is going quickly, is pretty much straight lines, I find. I don't think he's the most agile at turning when people chop inside or try to take him on or that. I think Gomez is probably a bit better there. And uh, obviously, in terms of aerials, defending far post, that kind of thing, again, you're probably looking at Gomez being the better option mm. as a as a covering defender. We're not going to get the you know the overlapping runs constantly like you do with Costas, but his delivery hasn't been great in the last few games anyway. So that's not no. not the end be all and end all by any stretch of the imagination. And Mbuma is probably their best player, especially right at this moment in time. So again, I would probably favor. Yes, with, with Tony out it, it's him. Yeah. With Tony out it's him. And I think I think if we can stop him, we, we go a long way towards stopping them. And unfortunately for us, just at the moment, given the last two results and the 
the injury issues and the absentees we have, we do have to concern ourselves with stopping them. It's not just a case of turn up, play as well as you can and you'll win. You also have to, with, with a team like Brentford right now, you do have to find that balance of we do our part, but we also need to stop them doing their part if we want to win the game. One of the reasons we haven't won either the last two games is because we, we haven't stopped the opposition. Um, our team should pick itself. So for the, for the most part, the, like the rest of it, the left side is the question. Left back, left side of midfield, although maybe he plays Dominic left side of midfield if it's Harvey who starts. And then the left wing, I, I think it's just a question because Diaz's head might not fully be right just yet uh, after what he's been through. Jota came on and, and scored a good goal last night. So maybe, and he came on late, so he didn't get a huge amount of minutes. So maybe he starts on the left wing. Uh, but other than those three positions, I think everywhere else is is fairly nailed on. Um, prediction then, Carl? I'm going to go with a win because we're at home. I have a feeling I'm not, we're not going to enjoy this game very much at all. But I am going to go for a win. I'm a little bit hoping that we get some good Darwin or great Darwin. I mean, on Darwin, by the way, I was having a little look at him before. He's still not even played as many minutes in the league this season as Joel Matip. Joel Matip's not been our starting centre-back for a bit of a while now. Um, It's starting to irritate me a little bit. Um, I want some good Darwin this weekend. And if we do get some good Darwin, I do think that they'll struggle to contain our attack as a whole. And I'm going to, on that basis, go for a 3-2. Ooh, fun. No, neither do I. And I, I, I agree with you. I think they'll make it very, very hard for us. They make it hard for everybody. Yeah. Like they're a good team. They're really well managed. They're really well set up. I, I, I love watching Brentford because everyone is completely bought in on what Thomas Frank is asking of them. And it's rare enough that you see that where every single player is completely locked in on the manager's instructions. I'll go 2-1, a little less exciting than your five-goal bonanza. I'll go with a three-goal squeaker where we probably have to batten down the hatches for the last 10 to 15. I think we might go go like 2-0 up. They get one back and then it's kind of all hands to the pump for a little while as they play balls into the channels and run really fast after them and then pile midfielders into the box and try and win set pieces and annoy the life out of us. I think this is a game where we're going to need Virgil to be like as good as he's been recently. I think we need, yeah, exactly. Um, I think we need Ibu to have, because Ibu did not have a good day against them last year. Wissa caused him a lot of problems. We're going to need him to have a really strong day as well. Uh, so there we go. That is us for today. Uh, do you have anything to plug before we go, Mr. Matchett? Uh, I do have a piece out today mentioned on Raw last night um, about Girona in Spain. They are top of La Liga heading into this weekend and can stay there basically across the international break. So I've spoken to Daily Blint, who is playing there. 
uh, these days and just got a bit of detail about Michel, the manager, and how the team have sort of been put together this year and uh, how they've managed to get themselves better than everybody else in Spain. Won more games, taken more points, scored more goals. They are the team in Spain to watch this year. It is. It's it's mad. And it's funny because you look around the, the, the big leagues in Europe and there's two sort of, wow, they're top of the league kind of moments. One is Girona and the other is Nice. But they've done it in completely different ways. Girona are great to watch, free-flowing, scoring a ton of goals. Nice are the best defensive team in Europe right now. But it's it's really cool to see two different teams top of the, their respective top five leagues. Um, and hopefully both of them do get positive results this weekend and, and can get into that. Because if you can get into the third international break of the season, top of the league, that's a good achievement for for clubs like, like these two. Like Nice last season finished ninth and Girona last season finished 10th. So this is enormous progress from both of them. No one, I don't think, expects this to continue for the whole season, but they can enjoy it through the international break if they can get the positive results this weekend. And people they are then Montpellier the team to, to coming top. out of the break. Yeah, pe- people didn't expect Montpellier to stay top all season. They didn't expect Leicester to stay top all season. So yeah. you never know. True. Very, very true. It's just with France, because PSG have like more money than all the rest of the clubs put together. And in La Liga, you've got those, just those two monstrous clubs. It, it is, it is. I know, and look, we have it in the Premier League. We have United City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea. The, the, the Leicester thing remains something that someone needs to do some sort of scientific investigation on, but. Yeah, it is It is a bit crazy. It's great to see. It is genuinely great to see. So this weekend, Girona travelled to Rio Vallecano. Mm. And funnily enough that you mentioned Montpellier, because I believe that is who Nice played this weekend. It is. Nice are away to Montpellier tonight, actually, at 8pm. So if you've got nothing better to be doing, give that game a watch. And find out why Jean-Claire Tadebo is currently one of the best centre-backs anywhere in the world. He is absolutely playing out of his skin at the moment. It is great to see him finally realise all that potential that he's had for years since he was at Toulouse. He's had a weird career with the Barca nonsense and the Schalke nonsense, and he's finally settled somewhere. And he has just, he's gone up so many levels over the last two years. And now he is, like, if we signed him in next summer, I would genuinely be thrilled. I've always liked him. I've always thought he'd be a good squad player. But he's genuinely someone I look at now and think, post-Virgil, he might be someone to consider. Age-wise, he might not be the right profile come then. But if we brought him in now as, like, a third starter where you rotate him with Ibu and he plays some games instead of Virgil, I would genuinely be thrilled he's been that good. There you go. We're bringing back our uh, to watch around Europe this this season, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you want to, is there any game out there that stands out to you? 
I mean, there's two games that stand out this weekend. It's the the Rome derby, isn't it, in in Serie A? Um, Lazio v Roma uh, on Sunday, and who is the other derby? Can't remember now. There was another one, Sevilla Betis, maybe. Can't remember. There was a, there was two really big derbies this weekend. The Rome derby's one. I think maybe Sevilla Betis is the other one this weekend. Yeah, Sevilla Betis is a five thirty kickoff. On Sunday, so you have to choose um, one or the other. There you go. Yeah, the other one's a five PM kickoff on Sunday. Lazio versus Roma. Uh, both should be, I think, pretty good games. Uh, notable games in the Bundesliga this weekend: Stuttgart versus Dortmund at two thirty tomorrow. Um, Stuttgart have made a really good start to the season. They currently sit third. Dortmund are fourth. Both lost last time out. And is there anything else to note? Uh, in Portugal, Sunday night, this is the third big derby of the weekend, but Carl's too snobbish to consider Portuguese football. 8.30 kickoff, Benfica versus Sporting. Benfica are a weird team. They're good domestically, atrocious in the Champions League. Sporting, top of the league, unbeaten, one of the few unbeaten teams left around Europe. So that one should be good as well. So there you go. Um, your Sunday's taken care of. You can watch us and then you can watch some of this stuff. Don't bother watching whatever the other game is on Sunday in the Premier League because it'll just upset you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.